And let's read beginning in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. So Romans 4, 13 and following. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be, for it, if, I'm sorry, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This morning, I, as I said to Kurt, and as he indicated, really the thought here this morning, the main thought, is the necessity of the resurrection. I don't have an introduction. I've decided not to spend time introducing this passage. In just a moment, though, I will look at the larger context, and we'll let that serve as an introduction. But I do have two points. Now, they're kind of wordy, and they're long, so I'll say them twice because I can see right now some of you are writing, and I want to make sure that you get it. Point number one. Everyone who is saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. I'll say that again. Everyone who is saved by grace, through faith, in our Lord Jesus Christ, believes that God raised him from the dead. And the second point is this. No one is saved by grace, through faith, in our Lord Jesus Christ, if God did not raise him from the dead. 
No one is saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ if God did not raise him from the dead. Now, the first point, now, I, it sounds wordy, but every word has been carefully chosen and they're taken right out of the passage. And it's necessary that each word be there, I think. But the first point could be boiled down to this. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you're not saved. Because everyone who is saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ believes that God raised him from the dead. And we'll see that. The second point is basically this. If he wasn't raved, raised, you ain't saved. No one is saved if there is no resurrection. But the words are chosen to fit with the text. So let's go through the text then, and we'll come to these two points. I would need to start with the larger context because I, I want us to see how Paul arrived at this point. You know, the point we're getting to is at the end of chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, the, raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's where we're going. But I want to see how Paul got there. And I think that will help us understand what I'm talking about here. So in the larger context, we go all the way back to chapter 3. Remember in chapter 3, Paul brings us to this conclusion. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Because no one can be justified before God by works. Justified. There's an important word. We're going to see it over and over again. As you know, I know who I'm speaking to, and most of you already know that justification is God declaring us to be righteous. Counting righteousness to us. To be justified is for God to declare us righteous. And Paul argues you cannot be justified by God. By God, you cannot have a relationship with God through your own works. Because it's by grace. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so, God put forth His Son as a propitiation for our sins that God brought forward Christ to be our substitute to bear the wrath of God in our place. God brought him forward to do that. That's what Paul said in chapter 3. That way, God can be both just and the justifier because sin has to be paid for. Has to be. Or God would be unjust. So how is God going to work this out, right? Our sins are paid for by Christ. In our place, he bore the wrath of God. 
He not only lived a life of complete obedience or righteousness before God, but he was also the propitiation for our sins to bear the wrath of God for us so that the sins are paid for in Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, God declares us righteous. You know, we talk of the the great exchange or the great transaction that the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account and our sins are credited to Christ's account. Not that Christ becomes sin, but he bears sin in his body on the cross. He bears our sin and suffers the the wrath of God and we get his righteousness. What a great exchange. But that is through faith. Faith in God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by works. And Paul argues, grace and faith are in, uh, grace and works are incompatible. You can't work for your salvation and call it grace. It's a free gift of God. I mean, we read this earlier, but in chapter 4, verse 16, that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. It's all the grace of God. What about faith? That's a gift of God as well. Paul argues in another place, Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Why? So that nobody can boast. Faith is not a work. Faith is trust in God. Faith believes God. It's all God-centered. It's not faith and faith. Like, just because I have faith, I'm saved. Now, our faith is in God. This is what Paul is arguing here in chapters 3 and into chapter 4. Well, what about Gentiles? And if faith doesn't, if, if justification does not come through obedience to the law, well, what about Jews and what about Gentiles? And Paul said, it doesn't matter. Jews and Gentiles alike. It's not works, it's faith. That's how a person is justified before God. By faith, not works. So at this point, Paul brings in some evidence. He's going to corroborate. He's going to prove that what he's saying is true. And he's going to demonstrate that it's not new. This is old. This is as old as Abraham. And so now he brings Abraham into the picture in chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? If he was justified by works, Paul said, well, he would have something to boast, but not before God. Because it's not through works, it's through faith. And then Paul introduces, as it were, a a laborer. He said, the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but what is due. 
A guy goes to work, right? He goes to work every day. At the end of the week, he expects his wages. That's not a gift of grace to him. It's owed to him. And Paul is saying that that's not how it works. The one who does not work but believes is justified before God. And his faith is counted as righteousness. Just like Abraham's faith was counted to him for righteousness. And he even brings David in. He quotes David. Blessed are those whose deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Even David would testify to this. Now, we can pick up, move forward to where we began to read in verse 13. The promise. The promise to Abraham. This is where Paul continues this story to prove his point that justification is by faith in God and is a gift of grace for those who believe. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that would that he would be heir of the world. Well, let me back up just a little bit because just before this, I should mention this, just before this, Paul asks a question. I mean, this is a question directed toward the Jews. Paul asks this question, was, was Abraham justified by his faith before circumcision or after circumcision? And he says, it was before circumcision. So it's not through circumcision. In fact, God came to Abraham when he was a pagan, and he was not circumcised. And yet, while he's not circumcised, he has faith in God. He believes God, and God counted it as righteousness for him, this uncircumcised man who wasn't even circumcised for about four years. So it's not circumcision, which means that it's open to everyone. Circumcised and uncircumcised like Abraham. And then he brings in the law. There, verse 13, I mentioned it. Did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it must be by faith in order that the promise made to Abraham may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offsprings. But who are his offsprings? Those who follow the law? No. It would include some who followed the law. But it's for those who are in the faith of Abraham. They're the offspring of Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Now, this is very important. Listen to what follows here in verse 17. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. See, Abraham believed the promise. Believing the promise had to do with giving life to the dead and calling things into existence that don't exist. 
So Abraham, verse 18, in hope against hope. What does that mean? Without any grounds for hoping. It's, it, for everyone else, it seemed hopeless. And yet, in hope against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations. As it had been told, you shall, so shall your offspring be. Now you can see this is in quotations. And Paul has other quotations in here because this takes us back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, verse 6. All the way back then, God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of, and father of many nations. Remember, Abraham was taken outside and told, look up in the sky. What do you see? You see the stars? So shall be your inheritance. Your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. Remember, Abraham had to believe that in God who gives life to the dead. Scripture tells us then that this could have presented a problem to Abraham. Why? Well, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Why? Because he's 100 years old. Wait a minute. God said, my descendants are going to make the stars of the sky. I'm 100 years old. When it comes to procreation and reproduction, that's not happening. Concerning reproduction, I'm dead. My, my body's dead. And what about Sarah? She's 90 years old. And her, her womb was barren. And the word barren here has the idea of deadness. Some translations use dead. His body, reproductively, is dead. Her body, her womb is dead. But that didn't cause Abraham to waver one bit. Because he believed that God could bring life out of death. You've been wondering how all of this points to the resurrection? Here it is. This is what Abraham believed. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, which was what? To bring life out of death. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Not works, but his faith in God, faith in the promise of God. Believing God to the point that, in spite of all odds, he hoped against hope, he believed in God, that God could even bring life out of that which is dead. And that God saw as faith, and God counted it to him, credit to him as righteousness. 
right with God. Justified before God. Declared to be righteous. By grace, through faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's where it gets really exciting. Verse 23. But the words, now he's quoting again, it was counted to him back in Genesis 15, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Now that's pretty exciting. Paul is writing 2,000 years, approximately 2,000 years after Abraham. We're reading it 2,000 years, approximately after Paul wrote it. So it's been about 4,000 years. And Paul is saying, those words that were written concerning Abraham, they weren't just for him. They're written for you as well. That you might know that justification comes through faith. And all who have faith in him will be justified. It is written for your sake. It's written for my sake. That's pretty exciting. That's good news. God did that often. The, the Old Testament are, is a teacher for us. And it leads us to Christ. And even what was written 4,000 years ago was written for our benefit. Verse 24. And it will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. To whom will it be accredited? Those who believe in God, who raised Jesus from the dead. Everyone who is saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul is going to come back to this a little bit later. In Romans chapter 10, and you, you know these verses. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now this is not everything there is to being saved. But this is absolutely necessary. It is essential. It's non-negotiable. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, and confess this with your mouth, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, you'll be saved. Why? Because they're the only ones who can be saved. For while the, with the heart one believes and is justified, there it is, with a heart one believes, what's he talking about? Believing that God raised him from the dead. So with a heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, it is absolutely essential 
that we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And believing is by grace, through faith, not works. Believing God, believing in the promises of God, even believing that God has the power to raise someone from the dead. Believe that and you'll be saved. And that leads us to the second point. No one is saved without exception. No one is saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ if God did not raise him from the dead. Go back there to verse 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, there are some technical things to this verse. It's very controversial even. There are some technical things here. There are some things concerning the the Greek language. But I would just point out that these are parallel statements. Notice the language of verse 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The ESV here, like the King James, uh, uses the word for. Delivered up for our trespasses. So however we understand that, we understand the second one because he was raised for our justification. A more literal translation, which is captured in the New American Standard Bible, it reads, who was delivered up because of our trespasses and raised because of our justification. Now that can be confusing. The first would absolutely be true. We we get that. That he was delivered up because of our trespasses. But how is it true that he was raised because of our justification? And so to kind of soften it, they use the word for. So getting to the bottom line of it, skipping all of the the technical stuff, why was it necessary for Jesus to be raised, and what is the relationship to our justification? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves, verifies, authenticates, vindicates our justification. Think about the alternative. Jesus Christ was raised because of our justification or for our justification. Think of the alternative. What if Jesus had not been raised? What does the the resurrection guarantee? It guarantees that God the Father was satisfied with the work of Christ. He was satisfied with the 
perfect obedience of Christ, satisfied with the propitiation for our sins, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross bearing our wrath. God was satisfied. God was pleased with that. God accepted that. You remember Jesus on the cross. We sang of it in one of the songs. He said, it is finished. It's done. And the Father was satisfied. And so He raised Him from the dead to prove we are justified. We have been declared righteous through the work of Christ. Our faith is not in a dead Savior. What if Christ had not been raised from the dead? It would be an indication. It would be a proof to us that God wasn't satisfied. That Christ hadn't finished the task. Jesus said he came into the world to save his people from their sins. And he said, I will not lose one. And so he lived a life of complete obedience and righteousness before God. And then offered himself up as a sacrifice to satisfy God. And God the Father said, well done. And he raised him from the dead. And then 40 days later, he ascended up into heaven on what is often called that great coronation day. The conquering king with all that he came to do was welcomed back into heaven where he was seated at the right hand of the Father to rule and to reign over his kingdom forever. He was raised because of our justification. For our justification. That we might be made right with God. No one can be saved by faith, by saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if God did not raise him from the dead. Our faith is in a living Savior who now ever lives to intercede for us. And if Christ was not raised, we have no interceder. We have no mediator between God and man. We have no one who knows our griefs, knows our sorrows. We have, our union with Christ is dissolved. We are identified with Christ in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. But if he was not raised from the dead, the union is dissolved. But he was raised from the dead. To conclude our thoughts this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. 
I made the point that everyone who is saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ believes that God raised him from the dead. And you, you saw those words right in the passage. And that no one is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ if God did not raise him from the dead. And Paul makes those things clear here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me begin reading in verse 3. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or some have died. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, and worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, or so we preach and so you believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ, then not even Christ has been raised. I mean, you see Paul's thinking there, right? You're denying the resurrection of the dead. Well, that means that Jesus never was raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But then here's a case of a glorious, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father and destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we'll stop reading there. You see, if Christ was not raised, then we're not saved. God would be a liar. The promise would be null and void. And everything we're doing this morning would be vain and empty and useless if Christ was not raised from the dead. 
But in fact, he was raised from the dead. And what does that mean? It's not vain. It's not useless. It's not empty. Because Christ is alive. And your faith, that faith that is counted to you for righteousness, is not empty. It's real. God reckons it as your justification. Praise God. Praise God for the resurrection. Raised because of our justification. Amen for that. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We glorify your name even as we're told that We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then Abraham believed and glorified God. And we believe in you and glorify God. For our salvation, which is by grace through faith in Christ, even as you promised. And it is verified in the resurrection. We praise you. We glorify you for this work that you've done for our good and your glory. Amen.